0: Tonight, we are going to pick it up in chapter 2 of 1 John and verse 3. John is writing to us about fellowship with God. And he is making the distinction in this letter between a relationship with God and fellowship with God. One can have a relationship with God and not be in fellowship with God. And John is calling us to fellowship with God. It is the only way that we can experience the highest quality of life that God comes to give to us. As Jesus said, I've come to give you abundant life. Life on a higher level, a higher quality of life. And then John goes on to say, it is through living that kind of a life, that quality of life, that we really uh, find our joy in life. And so John, he says, I'm writing this to you because we have fellowship with the Father and with the Son and with the Holy Spirit, and we want you to have fellowship with God too. And then we want to share that fellowship with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. So that's what we've been talking about throughout our study of 1 John. And now John gets to 1 John chapter 2, and he starts reminding us that that uh, there's certain barriers, obviously, or requirements to fellowship and certain barriers to fellowship. And then tonight, he's going to start coupling some things together. He's, start, he's going to start correlating or connecting some things. He's, he's basically going to say, this is, leads to this, and, and that leads to that. And John is big on, on finding things that sort of couple together. Uh, and so you're going to start to see that uh, tonight. So I just want to pick it up uh, in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 3. And I think what I'll do tonight, just to give you sort of where I think I'll be headed if I have time tonight, because I'd like to get from verse 3 down through verse 6. So just follow along with me as I read these verses. John writes, Now by this we know that we have come to know God if we keep His commandments. The one who says, I have come to know God, and yet does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in such a person. But whoever obeys his word, truly in this person, the love of God has been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he resides in God ought himself to walk just as Jesus walked. Now again, remember in 1 John, the context is about fellowship, not relationship, fellowship. From John's perspective, he's writing to people that already have a relationship. He includes himself in that by using the plural pronoun we throughout this letter. No one would doubt the Apostle John's relationship to God. But John now is writing that God doesn't just call us to a relationship with him. He calls us to fellowship with him. And this is what we need to do to have fellowship with God. He talked about we need to walk in the light if we're going to have fellowship with God. We can't walk in darkness and have fellowship with God. And so John is picking up on these things to share with us so that you and I as Christians, as those who have a relationship with God, but hopefully desire to have fellowship with God, will know what needs to be true in our life in order to have and maintain that fellowship with God. Now in verse 3, back up to chapter 2, verse 3, the first thing I want to point out is this. Notice John writes, Now by this we know that we have come to know God. The first know, K-N-O-W there, means to be sure. John is basically saying, this is how we can be sure that we know God. So one of the things that John is going to do here is begin to show us that fellowship with God equals reassurance. If you and I want to be reassured, and all of us need to be reassured at times, okay? John says the best way to do that is to have fellowship with God. That's how you and I can be sure. And God wants us to be. Sure. In fact, keep your finger there in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, and go over to one of the key verses in this letter, 1 John 5, 13. One of the most often quoted verses out of the letter of 1 John, where John writes, I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may be sure that you have eternal life. God doesn't want us to guess. God doesn't want us to wait till, you know, as many people are like, well, I I hope I'm going to go to heaven. Uh, I, I think I have eternal life. No, God wants us to know we have eternal life and actually begin to enjoy and experience eternal life here and now because eternal life is not just a quantity of life, it is a quality of life. That's what the Bible teaches. And God wants us to be sure. Doubts will arise in our life as Christians when we're not walking in fellowship with God. The more we walk in fellowship with God, the more sure and reassured we will be. And the reason, one of the reasons why God wants us to be sure is because being sure is also to be secure. Our security is out of our surety. When something is sure in your life, then you're secure in it. I don't think any of us walked in here tonight on this floor and walked in with fear and trepidation that somehow the floor would give, you know, give away to, to, to us. Yeah, you know, we were pretty sure that the floor would hold us, so we had no problem. We're, we were secure in walking in here and sitting down. Okay? When, when you have a foundation that is sure, then you're not sitting there always doubting and worried about, you know, being secure. Your security and my security is wrapped up in being sure. And as John says, our surety, if you will, is wrapped up in our fellowship. So John writes in chapter 2, verse 3, by this, and he's going to now tell us what this is, by this we know that we have come to know God. Now the second know, K-N-O-W there in verse 3, is a Greek word that basically if you keep these three words in mind, this is what that word know speaks about. It speaks about personal, experiential, and intimate knowledge. That's what that word know speaks of. In other words, it's not A head knowledge that John is talking about here. It's a heart knowledge that John is talking about here. Again, let me repeat. John is calling us to fellowship with God. What is fellowship with God? It is close connection with God. It's more than just a relationship with God, just like a relationship with other human beings. We can have a relationship with people, but not be close to them, not be in fellowship with them. In fact, that can happen even in our family. We can be blood-related to somebody and have them as a family member, but not really be close. God wants us and calls us not just to be related to him, not just to be one of his children, not just to be in his family, but to be close to him, to be in fellowship with him, to have a knowledge that is personal, that doesn't come through secondhand sources, that comes through our own personal time, and, and, and fellowship with God is experiential, which means as you and I live the Christian life and as we draw closer and closer to God over the years, again, we gain more and more knowledge and intimate. That's what the word know here means. In fact, Mary used this same word whenever she was approached by the angel Gabriel. And Gabriel told her, you're pregnant. And here's what she said. How can I be pregnant since I have never known a man? In other words, I've never had any personal experiential intimacy with another man. I've never known a man in that way. You see, that's the same word here. And just a caution to all of us, if you will, is that John is pointing out something huge here that you and I have to continually, I think, be aware of and keep in mind as Christians. And that is to be aware of the fact that we are not just over the years as Christians gaining a head knowledge of Jesus. We know a lot about God. We know a lot about the Bible, but not a heart knowledge, a a knowledge that changes us, a knowledge that transforms us, a knowledge that draws us closer to God in a personal, experiential, and intimate way. Are we learning about God and coming to know Him more from what others tell us, or are we learning it through our own personal, experiential, and intimate time with God? Listen, the Bible obviously tells us and teaches us that God set up the church and he established the church and he calls pastors and teachers to be part of his program to teach the people and to teach all of us the word of God. And there's certainly times in our life where we we would be obedient to make sure that we are being taught the word of God by others. But you and I can't solely rely on on others to ever experience this level with God. We've got to grow to the point where we're not just learning about God from others, but where we're learning about God through our own fellowship and intimate, close connection and contact with God. And, and that's something that, as this church, you know, as, as the pastor of this church, we all need to just be reminded of that because I don't want our church, even though we teach the Word here, to ever, in a sense, get to the place where we're, we're being filled with people and all of us, where we come to, to fill our heads with the knowledge of God, but our heart is unaffected. And where we're okay with just sort of uh, coming and getting filled up ourselves with a secondhand knowledge of God, but we're not using all of that to be drawn into our own first-hand experience with God. Because that's fellowship with God. Because you and I can't live off of somebody else's relationship with God. And our re- relationship with God and our spiritual life is never going to be sustained or maintained by someone else's spiritual fumes, if you will. You and I can't live off of somebody else's spiritual fire. We've got to develop our own fire. And that fire, in a sense, too, has to be self-motivated. Yes, the Bible calls us to encourage each other. The Bible calls us to support each other. But there also has to come that point where we want it. Where it's it's about us and we want it more than anything. And then the, the other stuff is just sort of the icing on the cake. That's what John's burden is here. He says, I want you... To be sure, first of all, so that you are secure. And the way that we are sure and reassured in our life is when we draw near to God, as James says, Draw near to God, James 4, 8, and God will draw near to you. The closer in connection and contact we are with God, the more sure and the more reassured we will be. But again, this knowledge that we are gaining as we draw close to Him should be personal experiential and intimate. That's the kind of knowledge that John here is talking to us about. And and John is not talking about a head knowledge, but a heart knowledge. Um, as people who love the Word of God, and people at the Oasis, that's one of the reasons you come. You love the Word of God. But again, I love the Word of God too, but I have to be careful in my life that I'm not... Studying the Bible and and having time in the Bible just to fill my head with biblical knowledge. Because we as Christians find out real quick, we can fill our heads with a lot of Bible facts and Bible knowledge and it still does not produce abundant life. Abundant life is produced through fellowship with God, through a heart knowledge that draws near to God and seeks him in a personal, experiential, and intimate way. And I know, guys, for the last ten minutes, I beat this horse to death. I know I have. But I think this is so important that we get this, and that we make that distinction in our lives. Because John makes that distinction. So notice now the first sort of coupling here, if you will. John says in verse 3 of chapter 2, by this we are sure we know that we have come to know God if, if we keep His commandments. Now again, so one of the ways that we know John here is talking about fellowship and not relationship is a relationship with God isn't conditional. You and I have a relationship with God simply by putting our full trust and faith in Jesus Christ and the work that Jesus Christ did. That's it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you and I will be saved. But the Bible teaches that to go now from relationship to fellowship to walking in close connection with God, there are conditions. And John makes the first couple. He says, if you and I want to experience fellowship with God and we want to draw near to God and have this close connection with God, then we've got to to be obedient. Because you you can't walk in disobedience and maintain close connection and fellowship with God. They're mutually exclusive, John says. So if we want to be reassured in our life, if we want reassurance in our life, the best way to gain reassurance is by staying in fellowship with God. How do I stay in fellowship with God? Keeping His commandments, being obedient to the things that he said to the principles and precepts that he's laid out in his word. That's how you and I maintain fellowship. A disobedient Christian cannot maintain fellowship with God and maintain reassurance. Now this word keep is also a very important word. It has two different sort of shades of meaning in the original language. Let me give you the first one. The first one is, it it means to... Never take your eye off of, in a sense. To to keep, by using the word keep, it's sort of a keep your eye on it. Uh, Another way to say it or to illustrate it would be hold firmly. So John is saying, how do I keep His commandments? Well, I hold firmly to His commandments. Or I never take my eye off of His commandments. But let me back up a step. I can't keep His commandments if I first don't know his commandments. So the only way to know his commandments and become familiar or acquainted with his commandments is to get into the word of God and be people of the book. The the more I read and study and memorize and meditate on the word of God, then the more I know what his commandments are, and then after knowing what they are, then I can keep them. I can hold firmly to them. I can never take my eye off of them. Now, to illustrate this first shade of meaning of the word keep, keep your finger there in First John and go all the way back to the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy to chapter 6. God, in a sense, even commands his people in the Old Testament to sort of keep his word before their eyes by, uh, commanding them to do certain things and what he's doing here is really just laying out for them how they even in the old testament could keep his word before them at all times and hold firmly to it look at deuteronomy chapter 6 beginning at verse 6 god says these words i am commanding you today must be kept in mind And you must teach them to your children and speak of them as you sit in your house, as you walk along the road, as you lie down, as you get up. You should tie them as a reminder on your forearm and fasten them as symbols on your forehead, inscribing them on your door frames of your houses and gates. This is why even today you see Hasidic Jews or Orthodox Jews with the phylacteries and the literal rolled up uh, pieces of scripture and scrolls of scripture, literally on their foot. They're taking that literally, but it's the idea that God wants me to always have His word right there. He never wants me to take His eye off of His word. He wants me to hold firmly to it. That's what the word "keep" means. And you and I, if we're going to, to uh, be in fellowship with God and walk with Him, then we need to keep His commandments. Another way we can do this, turn to Psalm 119 for just a moment. The psalm about the Word of God. The longest chapter in the Bible is all about David's love for the Word of God. And in Psalm 119... If I can just turn the pages here. First of all, look at verse 15. I will meditate on your precepts and focus on your behavior. I think meditating on the Word of God is a great way to keep the Word of God. In fact, you see that again. If I can just get my pages to turn again. In verse 97 of Psalm 119. Oh, how I love your law. All day long I meditate on it. I think as Christians, it's so important that we not just read the Word of God and and study the Word of God. And I think we need to memorize the Word of God at times. And I also think, obviously, the Bible tells us, meditate on the Word of God. That is a great way to keep His commandments. To have them always there. To be sort of mulling them over in our minds. It's like the cow that chews on its cud. It's just, It's always there. You think about it. If we would, as Christians, fill our minds and saturate our minds and meditate on the Word of God all day, how our thinking and our attitude and our mindset and our perspective would be so different if we would keep His commandments. But another shade of meaning of this word keep also means to guard or to watch over, and thereby preserve it. Let me say that again. To keep also means to guard, to watch over, and thereby preserve it. So I want you to go with me, and why this is important, back to the Gospel of Matthew. Or, I'm sorry, Mark. Mark chapter 7. And why this comes in to play here, and why I chose this passage, is because Jesus here is talking to the religious leaders of Israel. And basically what has taken place in Jesus' day, or even before Jesus came on the scene, was that the religious leaders of Israel did not guard, did not watch over, and thereby preserve the word of God. Because they had it had lost its value in their lives. Because if something is of value to us, we'll guard it. We'll watch over it. We'll take care of it. We'll preserve it if it if it's of value to us. If it's worth great, something great to us. If it's not, then obviously we neglect it. We disregard it. And what had happened was in Jesus' day. They had devalued the Word of God because they did not keep His commandments and they elevated their traditions, their human traditions, their man-made traditions. And this was all brought about because the religious leaders of Israel were always ragging on the disciples of Jesus because they didn't keep the law. And many Christians are like, well, you mean the disciples didn't keep the Old Testament law? No, no. It It was human tradition. It was the things that man had made up. To add to the Word of God. That's what they didn't keep. Because Jesus didn't care about all these human traditions. What he cared about was getting people to focus on and keep the Word of God. And put all their energy into keeping the Word of God and God's commandments rather than making up their own commandments and keeping them at a higher value than they kept the Word of God. So notice in verse 6, I'll pick it up where he says, as he quotes Isaiah, This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. Having no regard for the command of God, you hold fast to human tradition. The phrase having no regard means to leave alone, to let be, to neglect. You see. They literally distanced themselves from the Word of God, which is what many people are doing today, and instead they never let go of, or they keep very carefully and faithfully, their human traditions. This has been a problem in the church for 2,000 years. Many times the church or churches uh, put more emphasis on their tradition than on following and keeping the Word of God. Notice Jesus goes on in verse 9 to say, you neatly reject the commandment of God. You set it aside. Again, you disregard it because of its lack of value in your life in order to set up your tradition. And then verse 13, we'll just go right there. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition. That's the real tragedy. The word nullify means to invalidate. It is a word that speaks about depriving something of its force or authority in our life. And Jesus is saying, here's what's happened. Because you have placed such an emphasis on your human traditions, rather than valuing the word of God like you should have, The Word of God has no authority or force in your life like it should, you see. That's the tragedy of it. And all of this, why I went there, is because this illustrates, if you will, the negative side of not keeping the commandments of God. Because they weren't guarding them. They weren't watching over them and preserving them. They allowed human tradition to come in and actually become more emphasized than the Word of God. And the tragedy is where Jesus says, then you nullify, you invalidate the Word of God by your tradition that you handed down. You and I, again, have to be very cautious and careful throughout our Christian life, and as a church, that we're not doing the same thing. That we make sure that what we do is what the Bible is teaching us to do. And that we don't get caught up in tradition. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a few things here that's probably going to make some people upset. And maybe if, if I don't make some of you upset here tonight, surely somebody that listens to this on podcast will get upset. And that's okay. And I'm going to be fair. I'm going to choose one tradition from a more, say, Baptistic background, and then I'm going to share a tradition out of a more charismatic background, and I'm going to call out both of them tonight and and say, if you were honestly and objectively to look into the New Testament, you would not find either one of these, but yet the church holds them as if that's part of it, right? Right? Well, let me go to the first one, the Baptistic one. Tithing. Tithing. You hear about tithing all the time, in churches talk about tithing and all that. That's a tradition. You cannot find that in the New Testament. Tith- you can find giving. And God obviously calls us to support our church and to give to, to ministry and all of that. But tithing, No. You will not find it. Then from the other perspective, the charismatic perspective, a tradition that they always talk about, but you will not find an instance of it in the New Testament, being slain in the Spirit. You never find any instance of that in the New Testament. There's walk in the Spirit, there's be filled in the Spirit, but you find no instance of anyone being slain in the Spirit in the New Testament. Now, the reason I point out those things is, sometimes we don't even realize how tradition and how things that really you cannot back up biblically somehow find their way into the everyday fabric of our Christian lives and our churches. And that's why you and I, part of our keeping the commandments of God is not just making sure we keep our eye on them and making sure that we hold firmly to them, but also making sure that we guard them and watch carefully over them and preserve them so that other things that aren't truly the commands of God somehow creep into our lives and into our church's life and become equally important, or as they did in Jesus' day, become more important and more emphasized than what the Word of God says. Tracking with me? Okay, I made you all mad now. All right, Back to 1 John chapter 2. The next thing John talks about much in this book is about what we say. Three times even in this passage in the first couple verses of chapter 2, notice he starts out verse 4, the one who says I've come to know God. Then in verse 6, the one who says he resides in God. Then down in verse 9, the one who says he is in the light. And what John is going to tell us is, that really doesn't mean a lot. A human being can say anything. We can claim anything. We can affirm anything. We can insist anything. That doesn't really mean anything. Our actions is what really matters. So, in this context, what John is saying is saying things and talking doesn't equate with fellowship with God. I can say, I'm, me and God are close, man. We are. We are, I'm as close to God as I've ever been. But John says, just because you say it, that doesn't make it real. It's our actions that bring it about. It's our actions. It's our deeds. It's what we do that brings us into fellowship with God and maintains that fellowship with God. Anybody can say anything. My goodness, you all know that again from this whole political season that we're in. People can say anything. That doesn't mean they're going to do it, or they're, it's true, or whatever. And and we get caught up in that too sometimes. You know, again, we can talk a good Christian talk, and we can we know all the God talk and all the stuff to say. But John here is calling us all out and saying, it's not really what we say; it's what we do, because he says here in verse four. If one says, I've come to know God. I'm I'm in fellowship with God. I'm close to God. I have this personal, experiential, intimate knowledge of God. And yet John says he does not keep God's commandments. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. And the word also speaks about one who distorts. In other words... When you and I present a false picture of saying to others, me and God are close, and we're in fellowship, and yet they look at our life, and our life is a life of basically disobedience to God's commands, then they're like, I, I don't understand. And that, that does, it causes confusion. That's what I tell people all the time. You know, you've got different groups of people. you got the person who says, I don't want anything to do with God, and they live like it. Well, that's pretty cut and dry. Then you've got the person over here, the true Christian, who says, I love God, and their life reflects that. No problem. But then the Bible says there's two other groups. They're the ones that cause confusion and a lack of clarity. The one group is one who professes to be a Christian or in fellowship with God, but obviously isn't living like it. And then you've got the other person who they are a Christian, but again, their life doesn't reflect it. So again, what they say and how they live aren't matching up. One may be a true believer but isn't living like it at the time. The other one claims to be a believer but has never really had a relationship with God. And John is simply saying, you and I can claim a lot of stuff. We can say anything. But if we're not keeping God's commands, then we've really not come to know Him. Because to be that close to God and living hand in hand with God and in fellowship with Him means we will keep His commandments. Then he goes on to say this. He says, If one says I have come to know God and yet does not keep His commandments, he's a liar and the truth is not in such a person. Now again, truth here is just speaking about reality sincerity. In other words, they're living a lie. They're they're claiming I'm in fellowship with God, I'm close to God, and yet their life is showing something else. And God wants us to be, as he said earlier on, transparent. That's how we walk in the light. Walking in the light means living a transparent life. Out there, exposed by the light of God to show up what needs to be corrected or what needs to be added to my life and john is saying a person who is is trying to put up a facade that's really not real is obviously living a lie and anyone who puts up a false front or a facade if if we've ever done that we know it's exhausting and it's enslaving and 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 that's why i think John even uses the word truth here because remember Jesus said, if you know the truth, if you have an intimate, personal acquaintance and experience with my truth, my truth will do what? It will set you free. Part of the reason why many Christians aren't free is because the reality of where they really are spiritually is played out differently on the outside, and therefore they can't really experience the freedom that God's, because they're not being true. If you and I would just be true, and just, if, if there's something that, you know, is, is there that needs to be dealt with, then just say, God, you're right. I'm being a hypocrite right now. I, I, I need to turn to you and, and ask for help to, to deal with this thing. But I can't, I got to stop pretending. I got to stop putting up a facade like everything's okay when everything's not okay. Again, that's exhausting and it's enslaving. Because I got to keep going around trying to fake it with everybody. And even though, you know, there's the whole saying, there's the saying today, I'm going to fake it till I make it, that doesn't happen. There's no such thing as faking it till you make it. Okay? That might be a popular thing that people say today, but it's not reality as far as the Bible goes. And so that's what John's saying here. Then he says this, but whoever obeys his word, and by the way, the word obey is the same Greek word, keep, that's earlier on. So I won't define that any further. I've already done that. Whoever obeys his word, truly in this person, the love of God has been perfected. Now, this is an important concept, because another thing John now is coupling here is this. He's saying obedience and the love of God really go together. God wants me to be in a place where my obedience is fueled not by duty, not by obligation, but out of love. God wants me to obey His Word and keep His commandments because I want to, not because I feel I have to. And John says, that's when you and I know the love of God inside of us is maturing. It's growing. It's being perfected. That's what the word perfected means. Bringing something to its proper conclusion. God's love has gotten a hold of us whenever it fuels our obedience and where we're obeying God and we're favoring what God favors and we're valuing what God values because again, we want to. And why do we want to? Because if we're living in fellowship with God, and we have this personal, experiential, and intimate knowledge of God, the more we get to know God, the more we know He really does know what He's talking about. And we really can trust Him that His way is best, and that He has the plan for my life that's better than my plan for my life. And therefore, God, I'm not only going to love You, but I'm going to obey You. And can I also say this? I think one of the things that this verse also shares with us is that we see this perfect marriage, if you will, between worship of God and the word of God, which is something we try to do here. Unlike other churches that emphasize worship and de-emphasize the word or they emphasize the word and they de-emphasize worship. Here we try to maintain somewhat of a balance by letting worship drive the Word and the Word drive us to worship. Because that's exactly what this is talking about. My love for God and my my learning to love God and appreciate God and all of that, that's really talking about my worship with God. And my worship then should should drive me to want to know God's word and obey God's word and keep God's word. And then the more I obey and keep God's word, then the more that drives me, oh God, I I love you because just like David, I I love your law. I want to meditate it on all day. And Jesus even talked about this concept. Did he not to his own followers when he said these words? If you love me, you will do what? Keep my commandments. Even Jesus said this. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And my commandments won't be a burden to you. Because it's, you love me so much that... And you think about how love does dictate things. Remember the Old Testament story of of Jacob? And how he was willing out of his love for Rachel, not only to work seven years, but really to work an extra seven years. Because... And then he says... Uh, it was nothing. He loved that girl so much that he could have probably worked for 25 years for her. He didn't care. That's what love does. When someone truly falls in love, then no amount of, of, of service or what they have to go through for that love, one that they love really is, is anything because the love is what's driving it. And God, that's why He calls us not just to a relationship with Him, but He calls us to fellowship with Him because He wants us to get so close to Him that we just so fall in love with Him that this whole commandment thing and obedience thing is just a byproduct of our love for Him. And that's where we know our love for Him and the love that He's placed inside of us through the Holy Spirit is maturing and growing by our ongoing obedience. And God wants our obedience and our love to be coupled together, never separated from one another. I got to close. So much to share with you. So little time. So here's what we're going to do. We will pick it up in verse 6. And what a great verse to pick up there next week. Let me just read these verses again as we close, and let's meditate on them. John says, Now by this we know that we have come to know God, if we keep His commandments. The one who says, I have come to know God, and yet does not keep His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in such a person. But whoever obeys His word, truly in this person, the love of God has been perfected. By this, we know, we are sure, we are reassured that we are in Him. Father, we thank You for allowing us to fellowship with You, to get close to You as God, even sinful human beings, yes, forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ, but sinners nonetheless. And God, we thank You that You call us not just to a relationship, but to fellowship, because In fellowshipping with You, God, we truly can experience abundant life even in this fallen world. We can have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, long-suffering, self-control, all the fruit of the Spirit when we're in fellowship with You. So God, may we desire more than just a relationship with You. May each of us truly desire to fellowship with you. A personal, experiential, intimate knowledge of you that we gain on our own, through our own time, that we spend with you. And yes, Lord, we can, we can benefit from sitting under the teaching of others and being in fellowship. With other Christians and being in Bible studies and all of that. But God, at the end of the day, fellowship is really about our own personal fellowship with you. May we continue to build that in our lives. And may we be a church that calls people not just to a relationship with you, God, but to fellowship with you so that we can truly experience, again, the life that You have for us. God, we know that with that fellowship comes being obedient to Your principles and precepts from Your Word. So help us to be people of the book who get familiar with Your commands and Your principles and precepts, so that, God, we can keep them. Help us, Lord, not to... Elevate traditions to the place of the Word of God. Help us to allow the Word of God to have our full authority and the full force that it should in our lives. And God, as we seek to obey You, help us to do so out of a heart of love for You. Not out of duty. Not out of obligation. Not because we have to, God. But because we want to there is no greater ultimate earthly life that we can experience more than what john is revealing to us here so god may we tenaciously go after that life and do everything we can to maintain fellowship with you these things we ask in jesus name amen god bless you guys